Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. And welcome to our past players, past legends, and in this case, uh, past CEO of the AFL, Mr. Wayne Jackson. Thank you very much for joining us, Wayne. It's a pleasure, Peter. Malcolm, no How worries. How are you, Wayne? Good, Malcolm. Thank you. So, Wayne, let's you know we'll go back to the beginning. Beginning, obviously, you know, starting starting off, uh, you know, son of Morris and Alice, uh, siblings Grant and John. Um, Starting off, also, I reckon one of the first most interesting points to you is, is, and you always make a mention this helped you in life, about uh, your father running a bakery and working in it, Wayne? Yeah, yeah. Dad and his brothers owned a bakery in Cotton Street, Brompton, and um, um, uh, I think they had about 25 rounds, you know, horses and vehicles and um, probably 30 or 40 employees in the bakery and whatever. And um, when I went to um, that school and most of my mates went off mucking around for a year or two, I dad said, you're coming straight to the bakery. And so I was working night shift there with some terrific fellows, but it was all night shift work. And night shift guys are a little bit unusual and or a little bit different, I think. And um, I just um, learned a lot from... Their, from them, the, their lives, um, um, their earthiness, um, and I did that for a number of years, be, uh, each school holidays or um, subsequently university holidays. So I spent quite a number of years, probably three or four years, uh, doing night shifts in a bakery for about three months each year. What uh, what school did you uh, attend as a young fellow before you started to uh, head to work in the bakery, mate? Yeah, I went to Allenby Gardens Primary School, um, and then I was lucky enough to go to PAC, and um, that's where the schooling took place. When uh, when you obviously at Allenby Gardens, a pretty strong footy program there. Yeah, there was actually. Um, um, it's a very strong footy school. A guy, the headmaster was a guy called Mr. Dempster, and he is very keen on footy. And a guy called Freddie Bills, who I know would be Great well class. known to you guys, is, yeah, he was a year or two older than me, and he lived in Flinders Park, which is where we lived. And um, um, my parents were both great admirers of Fred, as I subsequently was, and he sort of took me under his wing a little bit, and. Um, 
Uh, I was lucky enough when I was at primary school to um, play in the state um, Satsars, what was called Satsars, of teams then, with a couple of guys that went on to play league footy too, Trevor Jakes and people like that. And um, of course, Trevor, um, so Trevor, that was Trevor Jakes, of course, the Nord fitness guru, mm. and uh, yes, oh, all the stars came from Nord. Yes, all yes. the stars were from Nord now, can were they? Ray Wolford, and notice as well there with Jacko. Ray Wolford was in the team, and uh, Chris Hunter, I think, played for Glenelg. Um, so there were probably half a dozen guys there that um, at primary school under twelves that uh, subsequently went on to play league footy in South Australia. Pretty pretty handy, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. They did a state uh, schools. Uh, you guys would have been well and truly up there, I imagine. Yes, yeah. But essentially, when I was, you know, my secondary school, we um, we had a guy called Chester Bennett yeah. was our coach there, which is well known to yeah. well man. known to you guys, at cricket and football, and mm-hmm. you know we had guys like Peter Morton, Peter Darley was a superstar, um, Mark Skinner. Um, uh, one of the Hannafords, so we had a pretty strong schoolboys team there too, which was great. And that that was at uh, PAC, yeah. Yeah, it was. And and if I could go on with that just a minute, Peter, um, I then went on to play at university where Alan Greer was the coach. And um, the first two years there, we won two premierships, and we had guys like Dudley Hill um, from North Adelaide, Doc Clarkson, who's a State player from Sturt, Alan Byers from, from North Adelaide. Jan Hooper was a rover from West Adelaide. Um, gambling was a halfback flanker from North Adelaide. Um, twinkle Toes. Probably, yeah, Twinkle Toes gambling, yep. Um, so we had you know probably eight or nine guys in that university team which um, Alan Greer coached and... Um, um, and that went on to play league footy, which was great. Of course, John Sankster and Keg Ferguson. So Bubba listens to our podcast oh, from yeah. London. So Bubba yeah. would have had a crack at me if I'd uh, hadn't missed, if I'd missed Keg out. Look, also yeah, let's go well, back quickly back to Prince's and, and Chester Bennett. You know, he had an incredible influence on just so many people, and I reckon no surprise that Ian Chapel, as usual, puts things pretty correctly and succinctly that. His line was, Chester was a wise man in sport and a wiser man in life. And I reckon that probably just nails... He was an amazing man, Chester Bennett. Yes, he was. Well, as a student, of course, we didn't know too much about life in those days. Um, but he he was a wonderful um, mentor as a coach and you can't say a friend, I guess, as a, as a teacher and a student. But you just felt that... Um, yeah, you know, he was a little bit different um, in terms of what he contributed to the development and well-being of individuals. Both cricket, I didn't get involved with cricket, obviously Ian and many others did, but with football, he he was just someone you really, really respected and learned a lot from. And and there must have been scores, if not hundreds, of yeah. students over the years would have that would have not dissimilar views. Because at uh, your career at Adelaide Uni, that you won an award, and I've got to, I've, it would be sacrilegious if I didn't mention this, Wayne, because it's something that I've got in common with an AFL CEO, the club le- <laughs> club letters, uh, Jacko. Yes, yeah. Well, they were sorry. 
Club letters, too, for people out there. It's an award at uni. It's for on and off field. It's probably more off field than on field in terms of that. And probably the amusing part about it, you get presented as a, you know, a frame certificate. Uh, my wife, Emma, was always really dark because the club letters looked a hell of a lot better than her degree. So there was always a bit of amusement <laughs> about that, that how, how flashy it was. Yeah. Yeah, well... You know, there's a lot of us that knew one, Malcolm, that, um, you know, we tried pretty hard when we went across the white line, but uh, we also tried to contribute to the, the club as well. And, uh, and you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of kids or young people that do that today, but probably not enough. Um, yes. Because they're so preoccupied with other things, Malcolm. But I'm down at a place called um, Willaluka at the present time, which is in the upper southeast, and... Um, and just the community spirit down here with hockey clubs, cricket clubs, uh, et cetera, is just fantastic. And it's all about what the volunteers do. And, the, yeah. um, and a lot of them are older, but there are some younger guys coming through that are starting to understand that communities, football clubs, um, they need um, help. And um, so many are starting to do that, I think. Of course, it. Yeah, uh, I'd get into a bit of trouble with a few uni people mentioning you also got a full blue. Now that is the distinguished part of of on field. It's outstanding performance as a player in particular sport mm. while studying at uni. Now they're they're not giving out lightly full blues, and you you're no, a proud recipient not, of that. No, they're not. And the other thing I was really proud of there, uh, Malcolm, there's a, the amateur. Uh, I think it was called the amateur sports club at that stage. Yes. They used to give a uh, a medal for someone that's, you know, done a bit on-field and done a bit off-field. And one year I was lucky enough to win that too. So it's all about, you know, as you well know, it's about giving a little bit back and trying like hell when you're on the footy field. Now, Wayne, um, Wayne, one other point now, I think as we move on to the West Torrens side of things, it's quite amusingly, you better give us the fill-in that you could well have been a blood, not an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> We, um, when I was, when we were 18, we moved, my family, uh, mum and dad and our kids moved from um, Grange Road, Flinders Park to Strathmore Avenue, Lockleys, and we ended up living next to Ozzie O'Grady, uh, who was, um, you know, well known as a long-term president uh, of the West Orange Football Club. And when he understood that what I was doing at, um, um, playing at uni and living in the West Adelaide district, which Lockleys was at that stage, he arranged for me to play one game in the under-19s for West Torrens um, before the term expired um, uh, for my qualification. So I played one game for West Torrens. So I didn't have to play for West Adelaide. And uh, when I finished at uni three years later, well, I was tied to West Torrens, which I was just so thrilled about. These were a life sport. Lifelong supporters of the West Island Football Club, Peter. So, obviously, um, talking about uh, your time at uni, what 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 subjects did you uh, study while you were there? Um, I did economics, um, so that was supposed to be a three year program. I took, I did, uh, I think I got eight, eleven, eight subjects out of eleven after the three years, and then I did the last couple of subjects part time, uh, and after I graduated with um, economics I did um, uh, a degree in accounting as well so 
And at those stages, it was um, pretty strong you know, commercial background or commercial training, I should say. Mm-hmm. And this was all while you were uh, playing at West Torrens? Yeah, yeah, playing at West Torrens and uh, and then getting married and having three kids and doing all that sort of stuff. So my wife, Liz, um, well, you know, made a magnificent contribution. And so, give us, you know, your time at West Torrens, it's, you know, you played 140 just over 140 games, which ironically are virtually split, 70-odd leagues, yeah. 70-odd reserves. Yeah. Now, it's quite ridiculous of everything you did at West Torrens, Wayne. In fact, I think it's actually a bit pathetic you didn't run the canteen as well as well while you were there because you did everything else. <laughs> well, there's so, still time, mate. Yeah, yeah. President, you know, um, on the committee, uh, ended runner. up... Runner. Yeah, runner, co- yeah. coaching the reserves, and then, of course, ended up coaching the league side. Give us... Give us yeah. a bit of a rundown of all your time at West Torrens, Wayne. Well, that that's right. Um, um, I played about 53 or 4 games straight, so I guess I started to think, you know, I probably thought I was a bit better than I was, actually. But in the end, played about 70 league games and 70 reserve games. And when I went to Melbourne, they used to say to me, oh, how many games did you play at West Torrens? And I said, I played 140, 70 in the seconds and 70 in the league. But they never wrote about the, the reserves. They just uh, played 140 games at West Torrens, which blew my bags up more than they should have been blown up. So um, um, at, in the end of your career in those days, um, a couple of the more experienced guys would um, not retire straight away but go back and play in the reserves for a year or two to help the young kids, which I did. And um, um, and I ended up um, coaching the reserves and then Billy Barrett was appointed coach of um, the league side and that didn't really work out. We all learnt a lot from Bill, (laughs) but it didn't didn't, um, work out uh, as well as it should have. And... um, um, so I coached for uh, two-thirds of a season and we did pretty well. We made the finals. Um, and the interesting part is, and I think I've told Malcolm this before, um, when I finished coaching that, that year, they, uh, the committee said, oh, well, please, you'll coach next year. Obviously, I said, no, I'm not going to coach next year. Um, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got um, Thomas Hardy and sons to think about. And... Um, they said, well, what about coaching the reserves again? And I said, no, I don't want to do that either because that's not fair on the incoming league coach because if he loses three or four in a row, the spec- the, um, the, the, what the members will start to say, you know, bring back last year's coach, which was me. Um, and so I, I said, no, I'm not going to do that either. Thank you. And they said, well, what about coming on the committee? I said, oh, well, yeah, I'm come on. I'll come on the committee. That's okay. Um, so I joined the committee and went to my first meeting. And I don't know what happened, Peter and Malcolm, but at that first <laughs> meeting, I was elected chairman. And um, and a guy called Bruce Harrison, who was the company secretary of Albert Del Fabro, was our treasurer, a very competent treasurer. And he said to me, look, Wayne, I've got to see you after the meeting. So... Um, um, the meeting finished and I said, okay, Bruce, what do you want? He said, well, I just thought I'd better tell you, we're broke. I said, well, what do you mean we're broke? He said, well, you know what I mean. When we're broke, we can't pay the players, we can't pay our creditors. Um, so that was a, a real eye-opener. 
and uh, for the first time, our footy club then, uh, we did a three-year plan, a budget and a three-year plan. I took it to the National Bank of Finland and um, uh, the banking manager eventually said, yeah, look, we'll loan you the money uh, for the three-year period. He said, but it's conditional upon you staying as chairman of the club and implementing the plans that you've presented to us. And I said, well, look, I can't do that because I'm elected by the members and they may not re-elect me in two years' time. <laughs> he said, we don't care what the members do. Uh, we're loaning you the money conditional upon you staying there for three years. Well, I did get re-elected. I stayed there three years and we worked our way out of um, you know, an awful financial position to one of some reasonable strength. West Torrance, do you wonder where West Torrance really... You know, the fact that Woodville came in, if, if that hadn't happened, West Orange still, would still be around on its own right now, do you suspect? Well, I, I don't know, Malcolm, um, or Peter, I'm not sure who that was, but I I actually supported the club um, merging with yep. um, Woodville. Um, and, you know, I think it's been one of the few uh, really successful mergers in probably Australian football. Um um, I don't know whether they would have been, we would have been around because it was needed a lot of help from the SAFL and other clubs to get jealous. And yep. you just, you just don't know. But I think in the end, the right decision was made, in my opinion. And I think too, it's it spot on in terms of it's, it's an amalgamation where quite often amalgamation is really a takeover. Yep. You know, like yeah. Brisbane effectively took over Fitzroy. We'll yep. have those last few players. Yeah. Sydney took and over South Melbourne. The Swans took over South Melbourne, yeah. This was a coming together, together. of both, yeah. both clubs that needed uh, that little bit of help along the way. Yeah, yeah. And guys like Bill Sanders uh, um, and Rex Sellers from the Eagles, Bill Sanders from... Woodville, I mean, they acted in good faith and I think did a terrific job in the end, yeah. And, Wayne, so go through your, your working career, you know, before the AFL and all that, because it's pretty fascinating as well. You've, you've had some very responsible roles, you know, with Hardys, etc., and West End. Give us a rundown there. Well, after leaving uni, I worked for three years with Deloitte, so I didn't enjoy accounting at all. And um, then I joined Hardy's and uh, I was there for 25, 26 years and you know, went through the company secretarial bit and general manager. Then I was managing director, I think, for 10 years. Um, and then we got uh, merged with BRL to become BRL Hardy. Yep. And after a couple of years there, I was headhunted to go to the South Australian Brewing Company, where I was um, managing director for three years and very happily happy there. And then in 1992-ish, uh, I was headhunted to go to the AFL and had, um, uh, well, I had a year or so as the, um, on the commission as a non-executive and then seven to eight years as a CEO, which I loved. Uh, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was a terrific job. So my whole life, Malcolm and Peter, or most of my working life, has been in wine and beer and football, and that's not all that bad. Can't argue with that. No. I reckon that's probably a tick tick <laughs> tick off uh, most people's preferences there, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms yeah. of being headhunted by the AFL and all that, you, you had done some other administration back in South Australia as well, other than the Eagles. Trying to remember yes, in that I had. regard, well, yeah. Yeah, I was on the I was the director of the SAFL, and then 
one of the um, commissioners uh, when then the directorships moved to a, and the SAFL formed a commission under Max Bashir and Lee Wicker and whatever. And I was one of four or five uh, commissioners. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. And then I was on, um, I really enjoyed also, we, we formed a retention committee when there was some uh, probability of the um, South, of a South Australian team going into the um, AFL, uh, we formed what was called a retention committee. So there were four or five of us, including Jack Odie and, uh, and Rick Allett and Peter Page and myself. And our job was to try and influence um, the players that we wanted to retain to stay in South Australia. And we were very, and we raised money through sponsorship. Um, etc., and we're very successful in keeping, you know, the great bulk of the players we wanted to. We missed out on one or two, like Darren Jarman, um, but we um, did retain the McDermott's and the Bickleys um, and the Bubners and um, the Wrens and those sort of people who became, you know, uh, the backbone of the original Crows. Yeah, and, you know, it, the Crows, as we know, form messy and all that, but let's keep going with the. So now you you started off at the at the AFL. Go there, Wayne. Well, uh, so it's, um, a, a guy called John Winnicky was on the uh, AFL commission, and he had to retire because he uh, got a job um, in the Supreme Court, and he was concerned about conflicts of interest. So he retired from the commission. So there's a casual vacancy. And uh, Bob Hammond rang me once. I was actually in uh, Europe and rang me and said, look, we'd like to nominate you for the commissioner, to, to the commission as a non-executive to replace John Winnicky. And I thought about that and I thought, well, that would be a bit of fun. So I accepted that and I got uh, got put on the commission. Then I had to go up to the the next AGM um, and, and be voted in because whilst you could appoint a commissioner when there's a casual vacancy, uh, you then had to submit yourself to the uh, to the other clubs to be elected the following year, which I did uh, and was elected. Um, so I was then, you know, in my basically a second year as a non-executive commissioner. And then um, Ross Oakley uh, announced he was going to retire and... Um, 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 a small committee was elected to um, find his replacement. I wasn't one of those. And um, we all agreed as a commissioner commission that only the chairman, who was uh, John Kennedy, uh, would make any uh, comment on the process of uh, appointing a new CEO. So that went on for some months. And um, we used to get a report at the commission level the, of the progress being made then. One day I was at home and the uh, the firm doing the um, the charge with the responsibility of, of nominating a, a a CEO rang me and said, "Look, we want to talk to you." And I said, "Look, you can't talk to me. You have to talk to the chairman. He's the only one authorised to talk." They said, "Oh no, no, you can talk." I said, "No, I'm sorry, you can talk to the chairman." And then they said, "Well, we want to talk to you about you doing the job." I thought, "Oh, I." Gee whiz, that's a bit different. So I was 53 years of age and chatted at length to my wife and we decided, well, look, if we're ever going to do something really different, um, now's the time to do it. So um, I was successful in getting that job and 
started in 1996 after three years at the brewery and um, absolutely loved our time in Melbourne and, um, and, and enjoyed the job very much. Well, 1995, he goes on as a casual vacancy, and by 1996, you're running the whole joint, mate. Well done. Yeah. You may That's have right. had a master well, stroke. It was on... unusual for South, yeah. South Australian, yes. of course, because when you met the press over there, they, they were disbelieving that a, a, a non-Victorian could possibly run the AFL. What yeah. could you possibly know about football, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. So anyway, that, we proved them wrong, hopefully. You may have had a bit of a master stroke on who you said you barracked for in uh, on AFL Grand Final <laughs> Day in '96, Swain. Yeah, well, the first interview, um, uh, the point of Grand Final Day, nineteen ninety six, was it? I yep. think it was. Yep. And um, so the, we're doing the press interview. John Kennedy's on my left, and we've got all these journo's there in front with flashing bulbs and microphones and asking questions and. That went on for quite some time. And the last question was, somebody said to me, oh, who do you barrack for? And I, I you know, immediately the, the alarm bells went off with me. And I said, um, I barrack for Fremantle. And um, because at that stage, Fremantle was so motherless last, they were broke, people wanted them out of the competition. And I said, they said, Fremantle? I said, yes, Fremantle. Straight as a, with a straight face. Well, then they left me alone. I mean, they all felt sorry for me, and never ever did I get, you know, accused of anything because I barracked for Fremantle. Thank goodness, because the following year, the Crows won the premiership, and then won it again the year after that. And I, and I, I mean, the mind boggles, Peter and Malcolm, as to what the press would have had to say yeah. if they knew I was a Crows supporter and the Crows won two premiers. Every decision we made. They'd be looking at saying, yeah. "Well, how does this impact on the crows?" You know, yep. so they were known for doing a, that anyway. Yeah, pardon? They're known for doing that anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. right. Um, so, go through your responsibilities and what you felt were your achievements and, and that side of things in the role, way. Well, when, when I took it on, we were. We were, had real problems with the, our relationship with the media. Um, I mean, for example, Ross had been there 10 years and, in my view, did a terrific job. But we were at loggerheads with people like Patrick Smith, who at that stage was a football writer for the age. Um, so we had a lot of mending to do in terms of our relationship with the, um, with the press. But as I got into the job... Um, you know, there are other issues like, um, and the major one probably was the uh, what we're going to do with Waverley because anyone with any sort of reasonableness could understand that Waverley was a long way from the yeah. city. It was in a rain belt. It had never been completed. There's no public transport, uh, and yet we're still trying to prop it up. But in the end, we, the commission, decided we'd have to sell it and do something else, uh, and that was my job. Um, and at the same time, to his great credit, and Jeff Kennett, the Premier of Victoria, um, decided to um, um, develop what's called the Docklands, which are basically walls and marshes and um, uh, not a very um, uh, attractive place. And that he wanted to build a, um, a stadium there for soccer and rugby. And we were able to convince him that um, to build a stadium in Melbourne, the city of Melbourne, 
and not cater for Australian football was just crazy. Yep. So after a little while, uh, like months, uh, we convinced the government that, that, that it had to be based on Australian football and um, the government gave us the land. Uh, we put down $30 million, which we got from the sale of our broadcasting rights um, with Channel 7, and in return for playing, I think it was 35, if not 37 games a year there, for 25 years, that stadium became the, um, the uh, under the ownership of the AFL with no restrictions at all. So it was a freehold title uh, for 25 years. Incredible deal, really. Playing, mm. Yeah, simply for playing 35 to 37 games a year. Well, as you know, um, partway through that 25 years, um, the AFL decided that they wanted to buy it, which they did, and uh, redeveloped and that stadium's now probably worth in the order of a billion dollars. Yeah. And, um, and it's now arguably um, the best football stadium in the country to watch football in. We've got over all the issues. Remember the issues of oh, the hard surface yeah. and the yeah. players complaining yeah. and the, yeah. and all of that. All that's gone. And um, it's just a terrific stadium now under the full ownership of the AFL. And as well, of course, the AFL has got its offices there on its own freehold land. So it's been a, a, a tremendous boon for the game. Well, yeah, I, I personally can't believe the criticism it gets. Um, you know, no, not now, but you know, like in, in Hardwick a, still carries on like a pork chop about it. And yeah, Damien Hardwick, and you know, I just, I still don't get. I think it's a great ground, personally. So, yeah. yeah, well, Damien Hardwick carries on because he wants to play all his games at the MCG. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the poor old, poor old Richmond, they've only got about seventeen or eighteen games at the yeah. MCG, so he doesn't want to play it at. Um, at the Marvel Stadium because his team hasn't got the same advantage it's got when it plays at um, Melbourne. And that's one of the issues the AFL, of course, has to work through. So you get a club like Richmond, and if there's 23 games of the year, and if they play five or six games in the state, they're left with 17 or 18 yeah. games. Well, Hardwick wants all those played at the MCG. The AFL says, well, look, when you play Fremantle or, yeah, exactly. um, or Gold Coast, you can play them at the Marvel Stadium. But, um, some clubs are still not happy with that, but that's the way it's got to be. Well, such a long way to travel for you know, Richmond. It's at least five <laughs> or six Ks. You know, so, come on. Yeah, Speaking of traffic, right. mate, it's yeah, always, yeah. always tough. Yeah. Uh, mate, uh, you obviously um, oversaw a couple of mergers and relocations. Did, did you find that your time with Woodville West Torrens helped you with a bit of insight with that? Um, no, well, I, I wasn't involved administratively when that Woodville West Torrens thing happened. Uh, it's like all, it's like, I mean, it's, if you've had a bit of experience in business, um, you understand that, you know, you've got to, you've got to take people with you. you you've got to leave things on the table for the other party. Um, the, um, the Brisbane thing happened my first year there, but then Port came in, which um, um, Port Power came in uh, to the AFL, but that wasn't a, a merger, but that was a difficult time for the AFL and for the Port Adelaide Football Club. Um, um, but in, no, in, what, in, what, in what way for Port Adelaide? I mean, obviously we know here in South Australia the, 
the struggles that they had with um, the Crows being accepted before they were. But yeah. from an AFL point of view, uh, a little bit difficult there as well? Well, I think from the sense that Port was such a strong club in Adelaide that, the, you know, the, with respect, they thought they knew it all. Um, and coming into the AFL, um, the AFL wasn't going, and other clubs, of course, weren't going to respond to the, necessarily respond to the way Port wanted to do things. So they they found it very hard for a, a couple of years. I mean, in the end, got well on track, but there, there's also always a little bit of angst between the the, the uh, AFL and um, and Port, and there was a little bit between the AFL and the SAFL too, because the SAFL was, you know, regard themselves as the second strongest competition. It took them a long time, as you well know, for uh, the SAFL to accept that the AFL was here to stay and was going to manage football around the whole of the country. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, those things take time, but with goodwill on all parts, you, you, you eventually find a way through. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. And look, personally, you know, ten, it's meant to be an AFL competition where I still see it personally as an extended VFL, you know. The relocation, yeah. if it would have been great. I, I think both North Melbourne and either St Kilda, Western Bulldogs, someone else that should be spread around. You know, I think one of those teams should have relocated to Tasmania as well. North Melbourne should have gone to the Gold Coast, in my opinion. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, And that would give more of an Australian feel than an extended v- VFL competition, yeah. personally. Yeah, well, Malcolm, I, I agree totally that the, there should have been a team from uh, Melbourne relocated to the uh, Gold Coast, and that should have been North Melbourne. But um, Brayshaw, Brayshaw took over from somebody who was the president. He was going to solve all the problems of North yeah. Melbourne, and there was very anti them going to the Gold Coast, I think. And I, um, I think the AFL offered North Melbourne a hundred million dollars to relocate. Now I don't know that for sure, but that's that's what um, touted, uh, and they still said no. Um, it's an extraordinary decision, a, really. Yeah, a bizarre. Yeah, and of course it's too late now yeah. because with the club having the with the AFL having the funds, it can prop these these clubs up. And of course there should be a team in uh, Tasmania. Yes. And, and in my view, um, the, you know, a team should be relocated. I don't think that there'll be a relocated team. I think with a little bit of luck, they'll play, you know, eight, nine, ten games down there, eleven games down there, maybe twelve, and a few in Melbourne and a few around the rest of the country. Yeah, I just think it should have been an amalgam, another team though, in terms of going down to Tasmania. I know yeah. Tasmania are against that, but let's remember Sydney or South Melbourne. Everyone forgets that nowadays. That's Sydney. And I think the same thing yeah, would have happened. Right. The same thing would have yeah. happened in Tasmania. And I just think it's still crazy that there's ten teams in Victoria. You know, just... Yeah. Well, well, mate, we all do, um, but it's uh, it's not easily resolved. Um, but I mean, the reality is, if you tried um, Malcolm to relocate, say, um, the Western Bulldogs down to um, Hobart. Um, and they objected to it. You'd find, you know, the, the Carlton supporters would march in the street, and the Collingwood yeah, supporters would yeah. march in the street. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't uh, be very, very hard to uh, to um, to bring about. But but I do think 
there's going to be more AFL footy played in Tasmania and um, probably Hobart. Uh, but they do have to get an undercover stadium. I mean, how can you play mm. AFL footy down there in the middle of winter? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure it's a high priority for Gill and McLaughlin, but there's a lot, a lot of water to pass under that bridge, I would have thought. With, with the Melbourne Hawthorne merger, how far advanced were they down the track? I mean, well, that that was the year before I was on the uh, commission then, but not not the chief executive. So, yep. Um, but you would have heard um, a few things going on that. that... Oh yeah, well, it's, well, it's just like we're saying the uh, you know the Melbourne supporters probably felt that they've got to do something, and uh, and the Hawthorne people thought, well, we don't want to merge. So, yep. you, you know, the Don Scott thing's famous now for the burning yeah. of the Guernsey. Yeah. Uh, and all of that, um, but I don't think it ever got real. When they had the vote, it didn't. It wasn't close. So, and maybe in retrospect, um, uh, that proved to be right because Hawthorne went from strength to strength, and Melbourne's now a very uh, well managed and competitive footy club. So that's probably, you know, uh, worked out all right. Yeah, but, true. Um, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be somebody down in Hobart. Yeah. Or uh, Northern Territory, can you see a team being up there at some stage as well? No, I, I can't. I can't. I can't see that. Um, um, I mean, I just can't see how it fits in weather-wise. Yes. Um, how you get people to live up there and train for ten months a year in Darwin. Um, I think that's a very different um, situation. I mean. The Indigenous guys have done wonderful things for all of the footy clubs, but I can't see a, a team up there, um, yeah, not in my lifetime anyway. Could a South Australian or WA third side come about at some stage? Well, the, the problem is that we've, we've now got 18 teams, and um, you know, if you start adding one in Tasmania, that makes 19 if you don't relocate somebody. Yep. And then you're starting to think about, well, we've got a 19, 18, 19, 20 team competition. Maybe we should have two divisions. And in one division, you know, obviously you've got Port and and West Coast and Sydney and Brisbane and the other one you've obviously got the Crows and Fremantle and the GWS and, um, and, and the Gold Coast. You know, so you've got one from each team in the competition. And when you start to think about, well, Maybe they play each other twice mm. uh, in that division and then once they play a team in the other division and at the end of the, world, end of the year, the, the division leaders, top three or four from each um, division, they play off for the finals. That, that, could be, um, that could well be worthwhile considering and thinking about over a period of time. Yeah, it'd be interesting. There'd be plenty of argy bargy on which teams are going to which division, and yeah, but that could rotate around over a course of uh, eight or nine years, maybe. Yeah, you could. I mean, if you've got say uh, ten team in each division, well, maybe after two years, the bottom three swap over to the other three, other division. Who knows? But uh, I I think, I think having a twenty, for example, a twenty team uh, competition gets. It's messy because if you have 22, 23, 24 games, you play everyone once and a couple of teams twice. So um, uh, I'm sure, you know, the strategic thinkers within the AFL would would have on their plates, um, you know, have we or do we have a um, two divisions 
sometime in the future. And the AFL reserves comp, look, it nearly happened years ago. Um, you know, the teams were told to prepare for it and everything, and then it fell away, and it's sort of a little bit now COVID's obviously happened and that sort of thing. So that's one as well. Look, it's, it's ironic, the debate on whether, you know, the Crows and Port should be in the SNFL or not. And just trying to explain to people that it's not just the the $50,000 what the Crows put in. You've then got the stadium management deal on how much money goes back to the clubs, and that's always argy-bargy. The TV side of things and all that, it's not just... A, it is so ridiculously complicated on whether the Crows and Port can be in the SNFL or not that people just have no idea how complicated it is, Wayne. And trying to explain it to a few people today, it's... Yeah, I... I it's... Well, I, I agree with I agree with it. It is complicated, oh. um, and similarly, like having a national reserves competition is it's just nonsense, Malcolm. Because it costs just as much to put reserve players on aeroplanes yeah. and put them in hotels and uh, and have the appropriate staff as it does to have an AFL uh, team. So the cost of having a national uh, reserves competition is ludicrous. Yeah, I'm, I'm not um, quite so. I'm not quite. I, I certainly understand in that way and the cost in, in, in that, but on how much money the game generates, like it's a multi, they're multi million dollar corporation, you know, franchises, they're not footy clubs and, and all that in the old sense. So, yeah, I'm not, I still think that'll end up happening, but yeah, we'll wait and see. So a national competition for the reserve? Yeah, I think so. so uh, that, I think you're more likely to find Malcolm. The Cairns and the Townsville, yeah, and, possibly, yeah, um, true. They'll, they'll, and Brisbane and Darwin and you know North New South Wales, they'll get together, uh, and maybe we in Adelaide will get together. You know, who knows? Tasmania or yeah. Northern Territory or somebody. True. I don't know. Yeah, true. yeah. So, when... yeah, but but a lot of a lot of people at the AFL um, would be thinking about these issues. Yeah. So when. In terms of, are there any, are there any things on in retrospect you would have done differently in, in your role as CEO? Anything, um, anything you'd like to change, apart from North Melbourne, obviously going. Um, going. <laughs> um, no, I'm not not a great one for looking back. I mean, if, if you always make mistakes, but uh, I don't think we made any strategic no. mistakes. Um, um, it's interesting. One of the things that I was never able to do was to get the preliminary final played in the home state, the state that's won the right to host yeah. it because they, we've got this long-term agreement with the MCG. Um, but um, uh, And Andrew, Dimitri, was able to do that, but he did, but he did it by just giving the MCG another Collingwood-Essendon game to replace the, you know, we used to argue, look, what's the point of having a preliminary final at the MCG if the Crows are playing um, Brisbane? You know, you'll, yep. you, you, um, so uh, we had to uh, find a way of re- um, giving the um, MCG the same uh, capacity to um, generate the income to, to do that. Well, I was never able to do that. It's happened now, which is good. But the, uh, mm-hmm. I, I am disappointed that we the uh, grand final is committed to, I think yeah. it's 2057 oh, now. And, and that's Ridiculous. done, of course. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, that's it's my... done to underwrite. 
the uh, infrastructure costs of uh, developing yeah. the MCG. Yeah. Um, so we used to it used to be out to 35, which I thought was a long time, but 57 the mine boggles, and I'm sure something will change in the next number of years. Now so I don't know what it will be, but nothing nothing lasts for 35 years, so um, something will happen. I will say personally, I always found Wayne to be balanced. Um, he said quickly, you know, there was a lunch where Wayne was a guest speaker at uni one day and I think he pretty realised within a couple of minutes that I was the footy nuffy in the room and so we developed a relationship from then. I do remember one day as an, you know, being on the committee with uni and we did have a problem with the SNFL and it actually involved Glenn, the late Glenn Rosser. And I said, geez, you know, was actually with you at a dinner at West Adelaide Footy Club, you know, which the late Ox Ravisi had organised. And yeah. I, I said, Wayne, this blah, blah, blah. And you said, why don't you phrase it this way, Malcolm? And you immediately took out the confrontation. And I always remember that. And I was sitting with Michael Dads and the two of us looked at each other and went, yeah, that's far better straight away. And, yeah, yeah. I always found you to be the balance, really balanced in that regard. Personally, yeah, you can say I'm biased in that way. I think you're the gun official at CEO land and all that. So, I, I yes. think that it showed, uh, you know, obviously supporting the Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne through their toughest times, uh, mm. pretty mm. Uh, fair and balanced approach that uh, really helped them survive, really, at the end of the day. Yes, it did, yeah. Oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you for those comments, fellas. Yeah, and, of course, Wayne, you, I think probably an interview with you, I'd, I'd I'd find it negligent if you uh, didn't get the chance to give Liz a proper mention and your kids. Go for it, mate. Oh, well, um, well, my wife passed away three and a half years yep. ago and um, uh, and none of it, none of what, if I've been able to achieve anything in business or sport or whatever, none of it would have been possible without the support of Liz um, and I guess by extension um, three girls. So I'm very, very lucky with that. Um, most of us now, male or female, um, you take a team approach to things, don't you? Maybe we didn't do it as well in my early days as we should have, Malcolm. <laughs> but, but you learn. Yep. And um, and I'm so appreciative of uh, you know, the support I've had from Liz and my girls. So um, that's good. Thank you. What are you up to these days, mate? Uh, in your spare time, are you... Um... Administrating well, uh, with any anything up oh, up at Willaluga. Farm, this farm gets a fair hammering. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got a farm at Willaluga, but uh, and I've had that for twenty four or five years. So we're just in the process of working out what we're going to do with that. But um, um, I still you know still on a couple of advisory board uh, advisory board or two. Got good mates. All the things that seventy eight year old blokes dream about doing, Peter. So. Yep. Um, um, yeah, life's pretty good, thank you. Um, albeit we're one short in the family, but never mind. Well, not never mind. Yeah. I can't do much about that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Look, greatly appreciated your time, Wayne. Uh, always value right your friendship Malcolm. and your advice. Greatly appreciated. Thanks, Wayne. Right, on, Malcolm. Thank you. Thanks for your interest, and thank you, Peter, too. No, thank you for your insights, mate. That's absolutely fantastic. Okay. All the best, boys. Bye. Thanks, okay.